0: Join me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'm going to preach um, a message this morning that you may be familiar with on Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Uh, This will be the fourth message and final message of our uh, John 14 series uh, that I've been preaching through the Gospel of John uh, now for quite some time, about a year and a half, and the Lord's really worked and blessed but one of my favorite chapters in, in the, all of the Bible is John 14. And healing for troubled hearts. There's a lot of troubled hearts today. and In our last preaching, we left a band of troubled disciples. And Jesus begins to give them some encouragement. He says that they can, uh, of course, look to a future home. And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says in verse 27 of that same chapter, peace I leave with you and peace I give unto you. As not the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. So two times in one chapter, Jesus uses the phrase, let not your heart be troubled. He says you can uh, have some encouragement because I have prepared a place for you. I've prepared it for you. There's a place called heaven. It's a, an abode where the Father is, is where you'll be. And, and that's an encouragement. And child of God, can I say this morning that that is an encouragement to the believer that this is not the best it gets. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And don't lay up your treasures down here too deep. And don't get too enthralled with the world because, let me say, we're going to pull out of here soon. And I believe that. And the way this thing's going, and by the way, if we don't pull out soon, it's going to be all right. Let not your heart be troubled. He also gave us encouragement in the, in the area of prayer. I preached a little bit about that last week, and that's really where we left off. In in verse number 13, he said this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He, he gave us the the, the the recipe. We're to pray in Jesus' name. And I, I said this, it's like you pray in a prayer, and then Jesus signing his name at the bottom. And would Jesus pray the prayers that you pray? And we challenged you in the area of prayer, and I was greatly encouraged by the response uh, throughout the week. But then the third thing that I believe Jesus gives us in this area of letting our hearts not be troubled as he gives the disciples encouragement as a constant companionship in life we pick up actually in verse number 15 the bible says this if you love me keep my commandments Now, in the original tense, we could read it like this. If you love me, keep on keeping my commandments. This is a current situation. It's not a past tense. This is a present tense and also a future tense that you are to keep on keeping my commandments. And let me just say, if you read verse 15 the way that I read verse 15, uh, right after a troubled heart, that's not the most encouraging verse I've ever read. If you love me, keep my commandments well, I don't know about you, but I've had trouble keeping the Lord's commandments at times. Haven't you? I mean, if, I'm, if you're about to leave me as Jesus is about to leave his disciples, uh, he's given them an instruction, and he says, hey, if you love me, prove it. If you love me, keep the commandments that I've given you. If you love me, pray for your enemies. If you love me, then follow me. If you love me, forsake the world. If you love me, all these, and he gives them instructions. He says, just keep my commandments. What is it? Love me and love each other. Can you imagine what the disciples believe? Let me just say this about that verse 15. Authentic disciples are revealed by active obedience. You cannot be a disciple of Christ without being obedient. And that's not to some of the Word. That's to all of it. We don't get to pick and choose what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. It's all written in black and white, and whatever the Bible says, it trumps everything else. So we should live in obedience. You can imagine... Anything more discouraging than having the memory of the Lord telling you, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And knowing that, within the next 24 hours, they would be overwhelmed with fear and panic as Jesus would be headed to the cross. The one that they love, the one that they had followed, the one that they revered is now going to be beaten and savagely, brutally beaten and a, a, a crown of thorns as mockery placed upon his head. Unrecognizable hanging upon the cross. And the fear and the panic... That That would come through the hearts of his followers. And I'm supposed to obey. And by the way, we'd be no different if we think about it. Sometimes we give uh, the disciples a a hard time as they scattered. The only one that was at the cross was John. But you think about this. We'd we'd be no different. I mean, when the going gets tough and, and things start getting real in the Christian life, you finally find out who the authentic disciples are. I believe now we are going to see and going to see as much as the government oppresses the church and Christianity, we're going to start seeing who is the real followers of Jesus. It's easy to go in life and say, oh yeah, and put a little bio, a Bible verse in your bio and you can start quoting little scriptures and have these little cute little sayings. But listen, a Christian is a follower of Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. It ain't just you putting something out there and putting a little Bible verse on something. Listen to me, we're going to see who the real Christians are and who the impostures are in the next little bit. That is why the the next passage is so important. I mean, if you were to just have verse 15, we might be left out there just hanging I don't know how we're going to do this, Lord. I mean, obey everything you said. I'll try, but I'm not sure. But here's what he said in verse 16. And he continues it. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now think about this. Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna give you a helper. I'm gonna give you a, a comforter and he's going to abide with you forever. Look at verse 16, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am my Father, and ye and me, and I in you. And he that com- uh, hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord... How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself in us and not in the world? Now notice what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. We just heard that in verse 15, but notice the wording. And my father will love him and we will come, we will come unto him. We, that's the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We will come unto him and make our abode which is the same word as verse number 2. Go back to verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know what that word mansions is in the Greek? Abode. And then he uses the word in verse 23. I will, we will make our abode with him. Hey, I don't know about you, but that fires me up a little bit. Jesus Christ has prepared a place for us, an abode with the Father forever. But until then, guess where they dwell? In the abode of us, they abide with us, amen? And not just with us, in us. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, skip to verse 25 and 26. These things have I spoken unto you, but being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I uh, leave with you, and my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you're like most people, the Holy Spirit is either neglected, ignored, misunderstood, or overlooked. A.W. Pink said this, he said, It isn't that we think the wrong thoughts about the Holy Spirit, it's just that we never think of Him at all. And I would add that when we do think about Him, we're probably just confused about the role of the Holy Spirit altogether. Now listen. Recently, I was in a checkout line at our local food line there, and I was looking, I don't know about y'all, but I like to read some of the, the magazines. Sometimes that's dangerous, but I like to read the magazines in the checkout line. And I was reading some of the headlines. Let me share some of these headlines with you. The first one is Miracle Diet. How to Eat More and Weigh Less. I'd like to, I'd like to find out more about that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I saw this headline, and, the, and it came with a picture. It said, Mom has world's smallest baby. Then it shows a picture of a, a, a woman holding a fully clothed baby between her forefinger and her thumb. Now, of course, we know that was a lie, you know what I mean. But they, people buy it, and guess what? People like me read it. I'm like, man, where did this happen? That's, it was dumb. I, I realized that. But then what really grips me every time I'm in the checkout line is I'll, I love the, the the book. They always have these little books on ghost stories. Now while I'm waiting, I'm seriously, I'm waiting in, in our food line in Woodruff. We only got one grocery store in the town of Woodruff. I'm not understanding that. I want to vent to you just a little bit. That's, that is terrible. And if you run for office... At least give us another grocery store in Woodruff. It's terrible. They, they closed down the buy low. They just got the food line there. So all of the town of Woodruff stops in there. So sometimes the lines get backed up, and I have plenty of time to read about these miracle diets and these, um, the world's smallest baby and, and celebrity marriage shams, right? These people that are in shams, and, and, and some, somebody's an alien, you know, somebody's an alien. They're not a real person, but... But the ones that I really enjoy is the ghost stories because it starts telling the stories about how somebody saw a picture move. Somebody saw a light down at the end of the room and it started getting bigger. And literally they make these stories up and you read them and here's here's what happens. Every time that we read our Bible and we start talking or preaching or, or teaching about the Holy Ghost, in your mind you go back to the haunted ghost stories. Oh, that's spooky. Oh, there's a light down at the end of the tunnel. Oh, there's a picture moved. A Holy Spirit. who, you know, And we start getting this in our mind that the Holy Spirit is some type of invisible power that just moves around. But friend, listen. The Holy Spirit is a person. I want to reintroduce you to someone that if you're saved, lives inside of you. And through the help of the Lord in John 14, we're going to do that. First thing that I come to is... How do we know the Holy Spirit is a real person? How do we know the Holy Spirit is a real person? Before we go any further, one truth that needs to be understood and introduced in the biblical description of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, is not a power. He is a person, and to be exact, He is the third person of the Trinity, not third in in rank. They are co-equal, but He is the third part, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power and thoughts of, of, of this, and you hear the feeling of the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But it's it's almost as if we, in our mind, have this, how can I get more of the Spirit? How can I get more of the Spirit? But part of the problem is that we have misinterpreted the Scriptures and that use of the Word. You know what the word filled with the Spirit actually means? In our minds, we think of the, maybe a gas tank or we think of a cup and we're filling it with gas or filling it with water. And we think that. So we, how do I get more of the Spirit? But what Paul meant is being filled with the Spirit is that you can get a little bit more of the Spirit. He's saying that you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's the word pleru. The word pleru, it, it's dominated. It means controlled, can dominate. So when we say the feeling of the Spirit, we ought to say the controlling of the Spirit or the yielding of the Spirit of God. And that is where we miss it. We, th- listen, the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? The question is how much of the Spirit of God does He have of you? How much of, of you does He have? Listen, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God. Now back to the primary truth of John 14. How do we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is a distinct person? Well, can I say this? There's some facts. The Holy Spirit of God can be sinned against. He can be sinned against because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said we should grieve not the Spirit of God. Listen, if you can grieve, you can't grieve a power. But you can grieve somebody, and you can certainly grieve the Spirit of God. And he also said in that same chapter, uh, I believe it is, or, or no, he said later in First Corinthians chapter 12, that, that that the Spirit of God is a distributor of gifts. A power can't be the distributor of gifts. No, the Spirit of God is the one who selects and distributes Gifts. He find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we find that in verse number 4 and verse number 11. And the Spirit will represent and impart an empowering of God for ministry. The third thing that we see that the Spirit of God is a person, stay with me, is this, the Holy Spirit has divine attributes ascribed to Him. What do you mean by that? Well, in John 14, in verse number 26, John calls him the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. We know that that's what he is. He's, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's called omniscient. In Luke chapter 1, he's omnipotent. And in Psalms 139, he's omnipresent. So the, listen, he is described as a person throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit is no less divine than Christ or the Father. He is equal with God. In fact, the name of God is indirectly given to him. The clearest example of that is Acts chapter 5, when, when, when I believe it's uh, uh, Peter says to Ananias. You can, you can go over there and, and, and uh, look that up. It's a great story, but it, it definitely uh, it definitely details the role of the Spirit of God and the Father. Here's the fourth thing, and I'm getting somewhere. I'm just laying a little bit of foundation. When I get to the message, it's, the message is very simple and very short. But the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Listen, it, it, he uh, uh, he uh, interprets the, the groanings and the utterings when we pray. It deals a lot with prayer, and I'll read those in just a minute. But it deals a lot with prayer. When we're praying and we can't even get the words out, the Spirit of God knows those words and interprets them to the Father. Number five, he's promised the Holy Spirit would descend. Turn with me to John 16, just just one chapter over, John chapter 16, and look with me in verse number 5, I believe it is. John 16, these are the words of Christ, but notice what he said. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whether goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. So you're sad because I'm leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, so I have to go away. It's an advantage to you. It's an advantage to you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter, notice this, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So when Jesus ascends, the Spirit of God descended. He said, I'm not going to leave you, and I'm going to send you a comforter. So I I have to leave. uh, And I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm not going. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come and comfort you. And he said, if the Spirit were only a power, the promise would be, I'm going to be taken from you, but if I go, I will send it. But he didn't say, I'm going to send it. He said, I'll send him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a him. Jesus said, I'm I'm going to go up, but the Spirit of God will come down. Now, here's the message. We see the Holy Spirit is a person. We see several facts about that. He's not an it. He's a a him in, in in that sense. He's not a power. He's a person. We see these things, but then I want you to notice the second part of the message is, why is the Holy Spirit considered the believer's advantage? Why did Jesus say in John 16, it's expedient for you that I go away? It's an advantage. Why would this be an advantage for Jesus to leave and to send us a comforter? Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus Christ said it would be our advantage that he's no longer visibly present? I don't know if you've ever read that verse like I've read that, but I've always kind of scratched my head at that verse. Like, Jesus, you're leaving. Jesus, you're everything. We just sung the song just a minute ago. Jesus, Messiah. There's no name above that name. And by the way, I believe that. But he said, I'm leaving. And it's expedient for you. It's going to be to your advantage that I'm leaving. That does not sound like an advantage to me, but it is. Because chapter 14 of John's gospel, Jesus tells us three reasons why it's it's an advantage for us. This is the message. The first advantage is this. The Holy Spirit will be our encouraging ever helper. He's going to be our encouraging ever present helper. Look with me back at verse 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. When I think about a comforter, I think about a comforter laying on a bed, and when we're cold, we want to snuggle in the comforter, right? When I think about a comforter, I think about peanuts. Not peanuts that you eat, but Charlie Brown, Snoopy. And I think about uh, Linus, and he was the one that drugged the little blanket Right? He was the one that drugged the blanket around and he always had had his little safety blanket. Uh, I, our little ridge at, at the house, he's, uh, there's these little blankets that he has and, and you'll see sometimes, you know, he rolls around on those blankets. They're a comfort to him. It's a whole lot better than the wooden floor that he'd be rolling around. They're a comfort. They're fluffy. They're thick. And when we think of comforter, we're thinking about, ooh, that's comfortable thoughts. Ooh, that's so fluffy and not, but that's not what it means. It's not a comforter as we know it. Our English translation carried over from the Latin heritage eventually lost the the strength of these two Latin words, but the first word is the word cum, and the second word is the word fortis, cum fortis, meaning uh, a fortress to fortify or to strengthen. And listen, when Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, he said, I'm sending you one that can strengthen you and sustain you because you're going to need it. It's not going to be our little cuddle pet. It's not going to be our little snuggle bug. It's not going to be our little favorite little throw on the couch. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to sustain you. As one writer said, a ramrod down your backbone to make you stand for truth, to make you take the right path, even though it is on the minority side. A comforter gives you strength to stand up in the face of adversity and something that is vile and something that is evil. Have you ever stood for something somewhere and then after it was done, you thought, how in the world did I get, where did that come from? It came from the Spirit of God. He's given you the strength. The Greek word selected in verse 16 is the word parakletos. He's by our side. Someone met me in the lobby just a little bit ago and said, Pastor, my grandparents moved to Greece years ago, and they went to Greece to study the Greek language. And they said, my grandfather who knew no Greek but went over there to study the, 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 the word of God and to study it in the Greek language. He said he moved over there and he said as soon as he got there, he was walking across this, a busy street and a young man approached him and said, in the Greek language, parakletos, can I help you across? And the man was associating that with his, he said, I've heard that word before. Where did I hear that word before? The Holy Spirit of God is our paraclete. Our paracletos. Listen, He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our sustainer. He is the one that, listen, He challenges us. He fortifies us. And that word parakletos, there's a definition in an old lexicon that said this one who pleads a cause before a judge, a counsel for the defense, someone who studies our case, someone who hears our testimony, and then expresses this on our behalf to another. Boy, that sounds familiar. He's our advocate. Amen. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Why? Well, because we do not even know how to communicate sometimes. Paul said, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8, I want you to see these several verses. I love the 8th the chapter of Romans. It's wonderful. But I love this little section. Paul, we generally associate with prayer because that's what I believe he's he's referring to, but he's referring to the help of the Spirit. In verse number 26, Romans chapter 8, verse number 26 Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God communicates on our behalf even when we don't know what to say. Have you ever got down before and tried to pray and you just couldn't pray? You say, Pastor, that was the sorriest prayer I've ever prayed. I didn't even know what to pray. But the Spirit of God knew. I have a preacher friend in North Carolina. His granddad, I believe it was, his dad or granddad was a small town in North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, where back in the day the police department, the fire department shared the same place and and they often answered the same type of phones and and whichever one rungs, the one that was the fire department had a phone and the, and the police department had a phone, but the, the, the chief there would answer both. And so the fire department rung one time that day and he picked it up and said, fire department, and a woman on the other end said, there's a fire, there's a fire, send a truck. And she hung up. And he's like, what was that? Sometimes you get pranks, sometimes people would call and, you know, they'd try to be silly. So he waited a few minutes and of course the fire department rung uh, again and so he picked it up and said, fire department where's the truck where's the truck and it hung up again and he's like I don't know what to do so he ran outside the fire department the police station and he looked over there to see if he could scan the tree lines in the city just a small little town he said well, surely I'll see some smoke if there's a problem he didn't see any smoke so he went back and he said I got a plan if that phone rings again I'm going to start out with where's the fire and so sure enough, the, 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 the phone rang again. And instead of saying, fire department, he said, where's the fire? She said, in the kitchen. Click. A <laughs> <laughs> woman was in panic mode. She was so panicking that she could not even describe what she needed to describe. Let me say this. You and I are no different. When panic settles in our life, When it seems like the world is collapsing around us and we try to pray, sometimes we can only say, where's the fire truck? Where are you at, Lord? Lord, I don't know how to pray. I've tried, but God... And guess what? When we get down and all we can do is cry, all we can do is weep, all we can do is just sit there and sometimes even agonize, hey, the Spirit of God knows and He interprets that to the Father. He knows what we need and when we need it. And the truth is, panic mode sometimes settles in and troubled hearts sometimes settled in. But I'm thankful we have a comforter. I'm thankful we have a sustainer. I'm thankful that we have a walk beside, a paraclete, an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God who intercedes. Here's the second thing I noticed. is not only that the Holy Spirit will be encouraging ever-present help, but the Holy Spirit will be our living, constant companion. Look at verse 17 of John 14. Verse 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive it, because he seeth them not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and you and shall be in you. So notice the last part of that verse is future tense. But ye know him, for he dwelleth, with you, and shall be in you. There's present tense and there's future tense, right? Both are very present in the end of verse number 17. And it is not that the Holy Spirit is simply close to us. That's not what that scripture is saying, but he's actually in us. It's not that he's walking with us. He's actually in us, we don't pray for a long time hoping that he will finally listen and he's already awaiting every word. Listen, we do not have to have some unusual experience to get more of him and and, and people in here may be confused. How do I get more of the Spirit? No, he is living in you and you got all of the Spirit at salvation. And by the way, we could make a biblical case. The way these verse, uh, verses are, are worded that... All three persons of the Godhead have a part in indwelling us. Now, I don't want to get too way out there. We know the Spirit of God does, but notice the wording is how he said. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, notice Jesus, he transitions between he and the Spirit. I will not leave you, I will not leave you. So now he goes back to him. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So Jesus is coming to us. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Notice verse 20. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Boy, it sounds like to me they're co-equal, doesn't it? Sounds like to me they're the same. Aren't you thankful for that? And by the way, if you deny the Trinity, how are you even saved? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Notice verse 18. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless means literally fatherless. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm not going to leave you without a father. I'm not going to abandon you. I will come to you. They, Jesus interchanges the, the, Jesus Himself and the Spirit indwelling the believer. The truth is that whatever you do and wherever you go, God and 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 the Holy Spirit along, they go with you, right? So let me ask you this question: If we agree according to the Scripture, according to the words of Jesus, according to John chapter fourteen, if the Father and the Spirit are with you, then how are you living? What did you watch on TV last night? What was your conversation with your wife last night? How did you speak to your family last night? What did you look at on your phone? What websites are you going to? What what do you do? Hey, you say, Pastor, I, I don't know. Hey, if we agree that the Spirit of God is in us, and God sees everything, and He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake me, and then He says in verse 18, I'll not leave you comfortless, I am with you, then how are we living? That's why Paul says we should not grieve the Spirit of God. I I don't believe there's any more profound motive for purity than the fact that God and the Spirit of God are with us. When you say, I want to live a holy life, what you should be saying is, I want to please Him because He's with me. Right? I know this is... But I'm telling you, when you start preaching on clean living and righteous living, people get all... But if the Spirit of God lives in you, you say, Pastor, prove it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I'd be glad, to with the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Paul is dealing with this carnal church. He's actually dealing with Christians going to court against each other. and Oh, they had all kinds of messes in the church of Corinth. He Actually, some of my favorite verses are found in verses 9, 10, and 11. He lists a pretty rough group right there. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, adulterers, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, covetous and drunkards, and revilers, and extortioners, and, and none of them is going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul saying to this church. But then he says in verse 11, And such were some of you, but you're washed. So Paul was actually addressing some that had that former life, and he said, but you used to be that, and that was the old you, but now you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven of those sins, and you're not the same. And then uh, uh, that's not really anything to do with the message, but then he says in verse 18, notice this, of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 6:18. flee fornication, and every sin that a man doeth is without or outside the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. And then he says, what? Know you not? That your body is the what? Temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So, look at me, church. Your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, and you... Your body does not belong to you. Boy, that really just totally deflates our current culture. It is not your body. If you're a believer, especially, listen to me, it's not your body to defile. The Spirit of God now indwells you. Take care of it. Clean it up. Live right. The Spirit of God don't want to live in filth. The Spirit of God doesn't want to live in a a filthy place, in a filthy temple, a defiled temple. Listen to me. Live right. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Verse 20. What price was it? Calvary. Amen. Am I preaching in some kind of Methodist church? Listen to me. Good grief and mercy. Is this new to you? I hope not. The Spirit of God indwells you as a Christian. Some of you be like, Oh, I don't know. I didn't know that. I better start doing. <laughs> then it says, Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God. How do we do that? we got a comforter. We glorify. We bring glory to God and in your spirit, which are God's. Sounds like to me you don't own any of it. They're all, easy just all, well, I don't know, I just, I just gonna do, I had a man in the lobby this morning, said, preacher, and I'm not busting on cigarettes, but you understand, I am a little bit, but he said this, but he's, he said this, he said, preacher, I smoked two packs a day for 20 years, and he said, I was in a Bible study one day, and he said uh, the preacher actually taught on 1st Corinthians chapter 6 and that I, he said I'd tried everything. I'd tried nicotine patches, I'd tried this, I tried He said I could not do it until the preacher explained to me that my body was the temple of the spirit of God. He said I took my cigarettes, walked to the stage, laid them down and never smoked anymore. Do what you want to with that. Temple is a unique Greek word. The temple refers to the outer courtyard. Yet another Greek word refers to the inner shrine or the holy of holies. Paul said your body is the temple of the Spirit of God. This means that God's presence moves. The Spirit of God moves within you. Well, I love that. Boy, that, oh, I tell you what, God did a work in my heart. I, whew, I'm telling you, you ever read your Bible? I was reading this morning in Psalms 139 and got blessed. And, and oh, tears welled up in my heart and my, in my, in my eyes. And I was just praising the Lord. You say, well, what was that? It was the Spirit of God. Oh, yeah. That's an advantage. That's why, that's why John 16, that's why he said it's expedient. Boy, it's a benefit. It's an advantage for you. Here's the third and final thing, is the Holy Spirit will be our amazing, illuminating teacher. He will illuminate things. And this is Jesus now, you, you, again, in, in, your, in your mind, I want you to remember this is the eve of his departure. He is about to go to the garden, and he's about to be arrested Judas is going to come back with a, a whole garrison of soldiers and they're going to come and they're going to they're going to arrest him and that is the last time that Jesus will be seen of his disciples until of course uh, John would see him at the cross but after the resurrection and he's leaving and the disciples are not ready for it they're still asking questions in John 14 they were not anticipating the resurrection. They, they knew nothing about the nature of the church. They knew nothing about the mission of they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize and teach those that are saved. They knew nothing of that. So the question remains, what advantage, what benefit would there be to the fact that Jesus would not physically be teaching, he would not physically be present, but instead the Holy Spirit would be invisibly present. So you're taking something that's visible out and you're replacing it with something that you cannot see. How is that an advantage? That does not sound like an advantage to me. Let me explain it this way if Jesus Christ were physically present with us today, I would not be preaching. Can I get an amen? Don't look too excited. That, that does hurt. Henrietta, you don't have to clap. That offended me. She looked too excited when I said I wouldn't be preaching. She started clapping. Glory to God. But I would be clapping too. Why? Because Jesus would be in the house. Jesus would be preaching. But if, if he were here physically with us today, that would mean that he could only be with us and he wouldn't be across town. Jesus would be in one spot, right? That's how he was in this earth when he was in Capernaum. He wasn't in, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He was one A man. He was all man, but he was all God. But with the Spirit, he can be here. He can be in a church across town. He can be in North Carolina. He could be in Moldova. He can be in Malawi. He can be in the Ukraine. He can be in the underground churches in China. He can be in uh, California. He can be in all. You say, Pastor, why? He's everywhere. And let me just say this. What has he done for us? Where's the believer's advantage in all of this? Why can our hearts not be troubled in this? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul wrote it this way. All scripture, uh, scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we have a book that is inspired. We have a book that we can preach from. That listen, this is a powerful book. And if we preach the word, guess what happens? The spirit of God begins to move and he begins to convict and he begins to work. Hey, and something to some of you that's sitting there like Kalijah the wooden Indian and you haven't moved in 14 years and you've got your arms folded and you're like, bless me if you can, preacher. All of a sudden, dynamite happens and you find yourself weeping and you find yourself moving. You say, preacher, why? Because the spirit of God is working. Oh my goodness. He said, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction. That tells us what is right. For doctrine, that tells us what to believe. For reproof, that tells us where we're wrong. Instruction shows us how to do it right. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You understand, the Spirit of God who inspired the Scriptures through uh, the disciples now clarifies the Scripture in our hearts. And by the way, that's why you ought to read it. That's why you ought to memorize it. And that's why you ought to set under it. But really, the end of this whole series is found in verse 27. Why, pastor, can our hearts not be troubled? Well, here's what he said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. He says it again. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. When we think about the word peace, if I were to interview... 15 people out of this audience, and ask you, give me the definition of peace, I guarantee most of you would say peace. That means we're not fighting. That means there's no war. That means that everything's just so calm. But that's not what peace means. Peace in your Bible means wholeness, completeness, security. Things that we should desire for a non-troubled heart. A peaceful heart. See, he said in the world, peace is something that you hope for. Something that you work for. But to a Christian, notice what Jesus said, peace I give unto you. It is a gift. Listen to me. What? Stay awake. Oh, stay awake. Peace is something that he gives you when he gives you the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, I'm not at peace. Are you a Christian? If you've got the Spirit of God in you, why are you troubled? Oh, I realize there's troubling. Man, this week has been a troubling week. Six innocent lives slain. Children. Christian school. Attacked. Vile. Wicked. Troubled me a little bit. I watched it on the news. I wept. As I read the stories of heroes, if I read the stories of people, children, That ought to do something to you. Say, Pastor, how in the world can we... Oh, listen. The next day, our nation, our government, our leaders declare that not the ones that was attacked at at this Nashville Christian school, but the ones under attack is the one who actually shot up all the people and declared a national day for trans people. That ought to trouble you. Trouble you how dare our society. I'm surprised that our nation has not been zapped off the face of the earth. We have spit in the face of these victims and we have spit in the face of God. And yet here we stand in a church, the only thing that the answer to a world society, a worldview society that's godless, that's wicked, the only hope is that people of God have peace in this world. It's the only hope that we have is peace. And he gifts it to us. Psychologist William Marston, he asked 3,000 people recently, what have you to live for? Listen to this, 3,000 people. 3,000 people. He was shocked to discover that 94% were simply enduring the present day. So 3,000 people were interviewed. And his specific question was, What have you to live for? What are you living for? And they said, Just to get through today. I'm living. Here's their response. Some of them said, I'm waiting for next year. Well, that's pretty bad if it's February. Some said, I'm waiting for a better time. Really? A better time? Some people said, I'm waiting for just tomorrow. Well, I'm glad they haven't read James because we're not even promised tomorrow. Frustrated, troubled hearts. The world is filled with them. I guarantee there's troubled hearts in here this morning. But can I tell you, for the fourth week in a row, let not your heart be troubled. We have a future home. This world is not my home. Hey, we have prayer We can actually go in Jesus' name and pray. And we have the Spirit of God. We have peace. Peace. Why? Because He is the Prince of Peace. Supernatural peace brings healing to our troubled hearts.